Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom also he named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Verse 20. And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And they looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother. And sister and mother. You may be seated. Good morning, Hill City. Um, I'm Stephen. I'm on the teaching team here and just privileged when I get to come and open God's word with you. There's nothing in my life I would rather do than this. I truly enjoy this and I hope you're blessed this morning as we continue in the gospel of Mark. In the name of the series is we're looking at the path, the path of the king. And so if you've noticed it, whether it's me or Brad, we've said every week we're following Jesus because he is determined, he's focused on a path. And we've already told you where he's going. He's going to Jerusalem to die, and he knows that. And so when I read, and every time I hear that, I think, how did he stay so focused? Because I don't know about you, but I know for me in life, even picking up my own cross, even following Jesus, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to let things, obstacles and circumstances distract me and and send me off in a direction I don't need to go. How was it that he stayed so focused? And I've got one word. There's a lot of words we can choose and we will look at some synonyms, but one word just kind of rang true with me. And it's this word, It's, it's allegiance. It's allegiance. And the way that we define it, the way that I'm going to talk about it, is it's love, it's loyalty, it's devotion and faithfulness to something or someone. And you know that our allegiance, our primary allegiance, is supposed to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. But what was Jesus focused on? He was focused on the will of the Father and the plan of redemption, and we'll look at that today. It's like he knew he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to the cross. He knew that there was something that he was there to fulfill. And I just got to thinking, uh, the, the main, the first week, Brad told you that kind of the main key verse of this focus of Jesus is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, throughout the Gospels, you'll hear many statements like that. This is why I came. And all of those are true. All of those are encompassing that mission and vision going to the cross. And one of my favorite illustrations from literature, and I know it's, it's a little bit small. When we get in the new building, very soon, no more technical difficulties, right? 
All right, so here we go. Alice is walking through Wonderland. She's walking through Wonderland, and this is what she sees. Up in the tree, she sees the big, fat Cheshire cat. And this is what she said. She says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to walk from here? And the Cheshire cat, that depends a good deal on where you want to go, where you want to get to. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you walk, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat. If only you walk long enough. It's easy to be Alice, isn't it, in our Christian life? And just lose focus. Where are you going? Well, if you're not following Christ, it really doesn't matter where. Well, I just want to get somewhere. What? Long enough, you'll get somewhere. Most people are guaranteed when you stop following Christ and you wonder and you just wonder and you get somewhere you don't like where you end up. Following Christ, it's that focus, it's that allegiance, it's the love, it's the loyalty, it's the devotion and faithfulness to following him. Now, in this story that we're going to come into today, Jesus is famous. The crowds are following him as he teaches and he heals and he casts out demons. The religious leaders are envious of his power and his influence. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we'll see this today. So they begin a plot to destroy and to kill him. Early on, it doesn't take long for Jesus. A year into his ministry, they're like, okay, we've had enough. He's taken all of our power, all of our influence. We don't like what he's saying. He's telling us to repent. We should be telling other people to repent. Don't you know who we are, Jesus? We're the religious leaders. And he's telling them, and they hate him so much. They despise him. They're envious. And so the context, coming into chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Jesus withdrew from the crowds because the throng of people around him was unbearable. So he withdraws with his disciples. We'll come back and we'll talk about that at the end, because I want to encourage you. Jesus withdrew with his disciples away from the crowd. And then in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 19, Jesus calls 12 young men. And if you didn't know this, they're like 19 to early 20s. He calls them to be his disciples, who he would later send as apostles. Apostles is very simple. Disciples is a follower of Jesus. An apostle is someone who Jesus sends. Ring a bell? Almost every week we say, go be with people as sent people, with that idea that we have been sent by Jesus Christ. And in verse 20 and 21 is where we'll pick up this morning. And then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. (laughs) His life was becoming increasingly inconvenient, right? I thought about that this week. I'm going to be honest with you. We do city group on Sunday nights. So after four hours, well, she's blowing along in that, of Natalia being here, huddling your little ones and interacting with you, guess what? Sometimes we don't always feel like having city group on Sunday night. Sometimes I wait till 6 to go ahead and review what we're going to do to start making food. You know why? Sometimes it's inconvenient. I want to encourage you this morning. We'll talk about it here in just a few minutes. Ministry is not always convenient. 
Can you imagine the life of Jesus Christ at this point? I mean, he's Kardashian everywhere. Like, can't get out without the Pavarazzi, right? It's got to be it's got to be frustrating. And for those around him, yeah, that wouldn't be fun. They couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. That's a good English word. That conveys very well what was in Greek. Literally, it wasn't just that, hey, can, can we have a word? Hey, Jesus, come here. We just want to talk. I mean, they were literally like, he's lost his ever-loving mind. And they grabbed him. And they were saying, he's out of his mind. You know what Jesus was doing? He was acting too much like, well, Jesus. They're like, who do you think you are, Jesus? And he's like, uh, yeah, that's who I am. You're crazy. What is it that you're doing? You're, just, you're going around doing all this stuff, and we're, we're kind of tired of it. And see, what we don't understand totally in this culture, because we're so individualistic instead of familial, we are a guilt-innocence culture instead of a shame-honor culture. When you read your Bible, you have to always understand the people that would have been hearing the Bible and later reading the Bible when they got it, they were in a shame-honor culture. His brothers and his mother are becoming increasingly ashamed of him. Because they hold in such high esteem the religious leaders, whether it was the Herodians, whether it was the Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes. He's starting to embarrass them because he's being too much like Jesus. <laughs> They're ashamed of him, his own family, because what he did reflected on all of them. Listen, there are going to be people in your life, we're not going to stand here and talk about it a lot today, there will be people in your life, even family, people that you're close to that become increasingly ashamed of you the more you act and talk and work like Jesus. And it hurts. I mean, there's no deeper cut. And that's what Jesus is going to address today. The, the way he framed it in his mind. The opinion of the religious leaders mattered more to his family than we could ever imagine in a shame on our culture. Because what he did not only brought shame upon him, it was shame upon them and their extended family in their village. You could almost say almost everyone in Nazareth. So the summary in verses 22 and 30, basically Mark implants this story because it has so many similar uh, um, uh, storylines. The religious leaders come to Jesus and they're like, not only is he crazy, he's doing all this under the power of Satan. They just accuse him straight out. He's evil. That's the only way he can do it. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus being Jesus, he knows what they're thinking. He goes, okay, well, let's take that to its literal end. If I'm casting out demons, why would I do that if I'm the king of the demons? That doesn't make much sense. And just like every other time, they're like, um, yeah, we're going to have to regroup and think about that. We'll get back to you, but we hate you. We just want you to know that. And so it talks about the unpardonable sin. And some of you are like, I've heard about that. I've read We're not going to touch it this morning. That's for another day. The gist of this story is Jesus talking about who his family truly is. And whether we reflect Jesus 
in the way that people see us. Are we out of our mind? And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And Jesus answered and said, Who are my mother and who are my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In fact, in Luke, in the parallel passage, it says this. He says, But he answered and said, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Did you notice how both in Mark and Luke, it both talks about obedience? Now listen, this is just me. This is something I've observed and I think it's true. So many of us came out of fundamental Christianity, which was like, okay, if you obey the rules, then you're righteous. If you do this, then you look good. If you don't do this, then you look good. And so because of legalism, we kind of turned our back and we're like, we don't want any part of that. And then all of a sudden, what snuck in was like, well, it's just all about kind of how you feel. Like, you should have a right heart attitude. And if you don't have a right heart attitude, it's just not received well. So if you're not doing it with a right heart attitude, then eh, is it? And listen, if you read through the New Testament, that's nowhere in there. I mean, should we have a heart that follows Jesus and loves Jesus? Most definitely. Should we love God? Yes. But so many times in the New Testament, it calls us, Jesus' followers, his disciples, to obedience, doing what he says. Like, it's not an option. Well, I don't feel like it today. If we only did what we wake up and feel like, we would probably most only do sin, Right? Until you start inviting the Holy Spirit and say, be with me in the morning, opening the word of God and saying, refresh my mind, renew my mind, we wouldn't be much. And listen, I'm going to tell you, don't let it sneak into Christianity. Don't let it sneak into your life. Sometimes we just obey what he says to do because he's God. He says, those are the people that are, I call my brothers and my sisters Those are the people. They hear my word and they do it. They're doers. Even James, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a doer. Jesus calls his disciples to allegiance. To allegiance. To love and devotion and loyalty and obedience. Allegiance, that love and the loyalty, the devotion and the faithfulness to someone or something. We know what that is. We know for us it's Jesus. For him it was God. I love this quote, one of the best books that you could really read. It's it's a classic in the field of Christian literature, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. He says this, and I just, just love it. When we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. Like shamelessly, look, there's no shame. Like, I adore him. I'll follow him. I'll do what he says. No shame. People may say I'm out of my mind. I don't care. I will follow him. Because he is God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I'll follow him shamelessly. Jesus' allegiance to the Father's redemptive plan is illustrated by him juxtaposing the natural family and his spiritual family. 
Like, you know that had to have been hard to hear for his brothers. Because at this point in John chapter 7, it says his brothers didn't even believe. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, if you follow the story of Mary, it says she treasured these things up in her heart when the angel came to her and told her who she was going to have. Listen, at this point, Mary was still undecided exactly who her son was. You go read his first miracle in John chapter 2 in Canaan, how he interacts with her. She's still unsure of what's going on. His brothers don't believe in him, and one of them, James, follows him after he dies and resurrects. But listen, at this point, his family, when he interacts with them, they're not fully sold out. They don't know. Some of them don't believe in him. But he is going to juxtapose the idea of, well, this is my natural family, but this is my spiritual family. Like, I'm here to do something that I'm unveiling. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. It's here. Like, I'm doing things different than what you would have expected. Have you ever noticed that when you read through the Gospels, it seems like he's never doing what people expect. In fact, going back a couple weeks ago, isn't it fun to start expecting to see things that are crazy and amazing? I hope some of you went home and you just even thought, okay, what is it in my life that I'm expecting to see? Do I expect to see people come to to faith? Do I expect to see myself make an impact in this world for Christ? I hope so. But Jesus didn't always do what they expected. In fact, you trace him back in his family. How many of you guys remember the story in Luke chapter 2 when he's 12 years old? And so every year they would gather and they would, like, their whole community and they would go to the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem. So literally, they travel in caravans. And so they've already started. They're, they leave Jerusalem after the feast. They make it a day's journey. And somebody's like, hey, where's Jesus? He's 12 years old at this point. Where's Jesus? And they're like, is he with you? Nope, I haven't seen him. They probably asked the other 11 and 12-year-olds, hey, is he with you? We haven't seen him. Last time I saw him, he's sitting in the temple talking to a bunch of old people. Like, ah, we have no idea. And so they get scared and they go back to Jerusalem. And guess where they find him? Sitting in the temple like a grown, mature adult just speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees about the plan of God throughout the ages. And he's just sitting there talking to them. And they asked him, and he goes, why are you surprised? Well, Jesus, we're a little surprised because we thought you would be with us. And so he says, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? That I was about my father's business? So listen, since he was 12, they've known something's a little off, right? Walking back a day to Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 10, we see a famous passage. It'll be up here for you. Matthew chapter 10 says this. These are the passages that... It's not the hippie sandal-wearing Jesus, right? Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. But he does bring peace, right? Peace on earth, Emmanuel. The context of what he's talking about fits right into what we're speaking about today. He says, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In fact, in Luke, it's translated division. I've came to cause division. Whoa, 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 Jesus, but wouldn't you just want everybody to be unified? That's what he desires is the outcome, 
But at first, if you think about this, God always causes division. And in fact, when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, who is he hanging with? Somebody who mocks him and hates him and someone who what? Recognizes who he is. It's an illustration of what Jesus came to do. And he said, I I came not to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of you are like, well, that's not too hard. (laughs) And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And you're like, what's he doing? He's using a hyperbole. It's hyperbolic. He's saying, listen, I have to be your primary allegiance. I have to be. And listen, I know when I read this, I try to be as practical and logical as I can. And I think, man, I love Natalia. And I love Jake and Ethan. I can't imagine. But I have to evaluate and say, do I love Jesus more than them because if I don't I never can lead them I won't lead them well I'll lead them selfishly and they will end up selfish he's using a hyperbole to just drive home a point Jesus knows that this figure of speech will reach into the hearts of all who hear until the end of time he couldn't have picked any other better illustration because it doesn't matter what nation you're a part of, what people you grew up in, humans have been the same since the beginning of time. We love our family. We're attached to our family. And really, if you have a hard time attaching, it's because there's been problems and dysfunction in your family, right? We were, we were naturally made to attach. He knows that using this illustration, he will touch the hearts of men for all mankind and really help them understand, am I your primary allegiance? Let me ask you this. This is, when I study and I prepare, this is the main question that I had to ask myself, and I think it's so appropriate for all of us. What is the evidence, or what is the manifestation in your life that you are solely committed to Jesus, that your primary allegiance is to him, and so much so that there's going to be times in your life where people look at you and go, they're out of their mind. Why would they do this? So I just started trying to think some of the practical stuff from my life that I think is very applicable to all of us. Just think about it in two ways. What's the evidence? And I think if you think about it about relationships and resources, I think it's very evident when we love Jesus with our primary allegiance and when he's secondary or third or fourth. And I thought about unconditional and sacrificial love in our relationships kind of contrasted against like a quid pro quo kind of love. Like, well, I'll love you if you love me. Jesus says in the Gospels, that's easy to do. It's easy to love people that don't love you. In your relationships, how easy is it to love the people that might be difficult? When there's friction, do you show unconditional love? This is a big one in the Bible. How do you love the least of these? marginalized, 
people on the margins of society. How do you love them? Because I'm just going to tell you, when people see people loving like that, they're like, they're, they're crazy. Like, how, I don't understand it. I don't understand how they love those kind of people. Those are the kind of people that Jesus talks about all the time, the widows and the orphans. What about forgiveness and reconciliation in your relationships? Listen, there are some things that have happened to you sitting in here. And when you say, I have forgiven them, and it's an everyday decision to forgive them, I actually would like to reconcile with them. People in the world think you're crazy. There's Christians, so-called Christians, that will think you're crazy. Well, okay, you can forgive a lot, but that, that's too much. And I'm not saying you don't put up boundaries. I'm not saying you don't protect yourself. But I'm talking about the forgiveness, thinking about, well, I have offended Jesus more than anybody could have ever imagined offending me. And he forgives. And he's quick to forgiveness. Who we choose to be with. Who we choose to be with. It's so encouraging to hear even some of the young adults and college kids would be like, you know what? Yeah, so-and-so's interested, but I'm not. They're not following Jesus. What? You're crazy! He's so cute or she's so pretty. Like, whatever. You're crazy. What are you doing? Don't you know they have a lot of money? Don't you know this? And they're like, yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. Why? Because Jesus is my primary allegiance. I choose to be with. And some of us in here, you might have a business opportunity. It might be perspective of a lot of money. And you might think, you know, hmm, I don't think I'm going to be unequally yoked with that person. That could be a disaster down the road. And just having the wisdom to go, Jesus is my primary allegiance. I don't think so. Sexual purity. You can't read far in the New Testament without getting Jesus or Paul or Peter saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, remain sexually pure. Like, I have the institution of marriage for sex. And that's it. And we live in a culture where people are like, but you don't even look at that? What? That's crazy. Listen, I'll just, I I think this would have been difficult for me at a certain time because all I spent my life around, other than customers, were really people of faith. And when I went to pastor in Maine, I made it my mission. I'm like, you know, Christians are awesome, but I just need some unsafe people to hang out with. So when I got there, I joined an indoor soccer league and I joined a golf league different times of the year. And I said, I'm just going to meet guys. I need some guys to invest in, to pray for, and just so that I'm not so, like, cut off from reality of what's out there. And some of you, you, did, you wouldn't have to make that because every day you, you work with people that don't follow Jesus. But I had to be intentional. And what was amazing is how I was reminded that man, a lot of what I do is really weird in their eyes. I mean, they would just tell me, like, you do, what? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's what I believe. And I just think for some of us, maybe if you're, if you're in a bubble of a Christian world and you don't have a lot of friends that don't know Jesus, I would encourage you, do something extracurricular, whether it's an art class or a sports league or something where you get to know people that don't know Jesus. Because you know what they need to see? They need to see crazy. They need to see Jesus. Because it's so counterculture. His teaching is so counterculture to everything that they know. Sexual purity is, you just think, 
whenever we decide to take a stand on marriage was created for a man and a woman in the institution of marriage and sex outside of that, Jesus disapproves of. We are thought of as crazy. And not only that, you see how in the story that it went from Jesus' family saying you're crazy to the religious leaders going, you're of the devil. The days are coming when people look at us, when we take stands and go, that's hate speech and you're evil. Jesus was very clear on some issues. And it's not always fun. It's not always easy to take a stand in those places because people call us crazy. And none of us enjoy being called crazy or being looked at weird or out of our mind. Parenting relationships, not only parenting and like how we parent, but sometimes what we parent. This is scary. And listen, this is something that I can't totally qualify. I can't, I'm not a prophet. If things keep going the way that they're going, many of you, I hear even a coo and a cry out here. That child will most likely grow up where this is hate speech. Listen, if God does not just put his hand on this nation supernaturally, the natural progression is going to be that everybody that decides to be a part of a body like this and to proclaim this book is going to be thought of as out of your mind. I hope that that's sobering because it should change how we parent and teaching our kids that, listen, being a Christian, there's, there's a cost. And sometimes somebody might make a comment or they might make fun of you. That's the least of it, sweetie. And help our kids be resilient and help them in their identity and hopefully transfer them into being self-controlled little humans, right? That's what most of us parents are. Similar, like we send them to kindergarten. We're like, God, please, I hope that they're self-controlled. And then someday taking a self-controlled little child and, and, and hoping that God interacts with them and then they're God-controlled. That's what we desire. But listen, when Jesus is the primary allegiance in our life, it changes how we parent. Listen, I'm so excited. And for some of you, you get to, you're, so, you're so scared because you've never done it or you've been doing it and you're just frustrated. Man, there's nothing I love more. I know new building gets open. I know a new year. Natalia and I still, we look forward to just helping you doing more parenting stuff, more marriage stuff. I know some of this just isn't easy. I remember. Been there, done that. And to be honest, some of it gets easier. Some of it gets more difficult. Because as you become more hands-off, oh, yeah, it becomes a lot more difficult. So our relationships, what about our resources? Can I ask you about your time and your energy and your passion? Your time and your energy and your passion are precious resources, are they not? Like, you, you can't get it back. Time you can't get back. What you do with your energy and your passion, it's not like you can get it back. You're, you're literally going to reap what you're sowing. Let me just ask you, Hill City, like, listen, I, I'm over the moon that you are here, that you're here. Over the moon. We love it. Listen, I'll just give you a little glimpse. Brad and I have known each other a long time. We've done ministry together a long time. And a couple weeks ago, when I, was, when I was teaching, he said he was just sitting up in the balcony. And your pastor just looked down over you and was just so happy and so thrilled. And loves you so much. 
that it's fun. But I think the greatest thing is he realizes what Jesus was talking about. This is something that goes so far beyond a natural family. We are spiritually united and connected by the Spirit of God. And it's something so special. And I pray that as you move into 2023 and we get into the building and and new opportunities start presenting themselves for either learning or jumping in, I pray that you become engaged. That you use your time and your energy and your passion into investing into a spiritual family. You know, we've got how many? 150 that are going to be missing from up here because they're, they're in Des Moines at the SALT conference this week. There are so many people that need you to speak into their life. And your time and your energy, how about your talents and your gifts? You're like, well, I just don't think I have a lot to offer. Hold that thought and wait to the end. If that's really you and that's really truly from your heart, I just don't think I have a lot to offer. Like I wouldn't even know what to give. I promise you, you do. Jesus is just waiting to use you. You talk about church, it's God's design. I don't know if you know this or not, but when he left, he left the church, Big C, to be him. And the way that he, he operates Big C Church, like all the believers in the world, is he talks to local churches. You realize that 90-some percent of the time in the New Testament that we see the word church, it's not talking about Big C, all believers in the world. It's talking about little local congregations like this. I hope you understand that. I hope that you have a desire to invest and to go, okay, this is my spiritual family. I'm going to invest my time and my energy and my passion. And some of you, this is exciting. Some of you, it's already in your brain. Some of you, this is totally off guard. Even just thinking about church planting. Like, listen, in the next few years, we, we're going to plant a church. We're going to plant a church. We're going to send a bunch of people to go plant a church where people don't know Jesus. And it's exciting. And listen, some of you, if Jesus becomes more and more and more your primary allegiance, you're going to care less and less and less about who you move away from and like what you're leaving behind. You're going to be like, oh man, there is something awesome on the backside. I truly, truly believe it. Very, very practically, like what's next? If you're here and you're like, okay, we've been coming to Hill City, kind of checking it out, we, we kind of like to know a little bit more. Listen, what's next on March 12th? Just put it on your calendar right now. Just pop your phone out. March 12th. Going to be people walking you through what we're all about. We'd love to have you there. Baptism on March 26th. How fun is that going to be? Right? Maybe in the new building. First baptism. How fun. If you know, if you know that something is holding you back from publicly being baptized and identifying with Christ, how awesome would it be to start out a new step in a new direction, going in the path of Jesus to say, I'm identifying with Jesus. He's going to be my primary allegiance. And just to hear us cheer and scream for you. I hope that if you haven't taken that step, you'd consider. Some of you are like, okay, we've been... We've been dating a while, as Brad would say. We've been dating a while. We're, we're thinking about marriage. Can you at least come and, and, and think about us proposing to you? <laughs> Covenant member meeting, all right? April 23rd and 30th, two weeks, Sundays after church. Can you just come and go, okay, what is it 
mean to become a little bit more involved, a little bit more committed here with the spiritual family? Let me ask you this. Just the Bible, just learning, just opening up every day, but even maybe learning with other people in in some sort of study. This book will set you apart, and before long, when you start loving it and reading it and letting it saturate your life, people will look at you and go, you're different. Like, like in a good way, because we're a Christian, but you're just, you're out of your mind. And you're like, yeah, I'm just literally doing what it says. Even in prayer, talking about how it will change your prayer life, the allegiance, and making disciples. So your resources and your relationships. Let me ask you this. Does your money and your giving, now let me ask, be very clear, did I ever say a certain amount? No. Your generosity and your giving, does it communicate the fact that Jesus is your primary allegiance? Listen, I know that sometimes it's just difficult to rearrange things in our life. But if somebody were to open up the bank account and look at all of the outgoing, would they say, this person is out of their mind? Why would they give that to the church? Your relationships and your resources will indicate the allegiance to Christ. Listen, None of it it has to, it's not like it's just always easy. It's a sacrifice. When you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, going, knowing that he's going to Jerusalem, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's very, very close. And he just prays to the Father, listen, I don't want to do this. I I don't want to be crucified. I don't want to go through with this. Take your wrath from me, but not my will, but your will be done. You read Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, and it's like he, the, he wants us to have a mind of Christ that was obedient, even obedient unto the death of the cross. It's not like Jesus was super excited about it. It hurt. It was a sacrifice, but it was necessary for the joy on the other end. I want to encourage you, those of you that earlier said, I just don't know what I have to give. I don't feel like I have a lot to give. I don't have a lot to offer. Like if you knew me, you wouldn't. I haven't done the Jesus thing very long, so I wouldn't even know how to begin to follow him. Like, if this is you, just, this is your encouragement. Please listen to me. In chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, he lists the disciples by name. He goes through all 12 of them. He's not picking the best of the best. He's not talking to people that have, that have literally just some achieved. He's not, he's not picking the cream of the crop per se. He's taking a bunch of 19 to 20-something-year-old guys that weren't real sharp as far as completing the mission. Listen, Tyler, those of you in the band, if you want to head up, he's not just taking people that have already achieved or, or are a certain maturity in the plan of God. I hope it encourages you to know that Jesus 
He uses one formula, and listen, this is the formula. We, in the Western, in our Western mindset, we love formulas. Okay, give me the formula to get here. Here it is. He comes to them and says two words, follow me. And they leave everything immediately and go follow him as a rabbi and a master teacher. Listen, you don't have to have necessarily achieved or done this or He wants to use you. All you need to do is follow him and say, hey, I'll give this primary allegiance thing a try. Like in the power of God and his spirit, that's what I'll do. The formula is always the same. It's follow me. But listen, I just want to encourage you. Because some of you are like, how many of you are here in your spiritual life? And then all of a sudden, you see people that are way down the road, and you just feel like overwhelmed. And sometimes you feel ashamed, like, I just don't know if I can ever get there. Like, I feel like I'm behind. Or you're like, I take two steps forward and one step back. That is the Christian life. I'm just telling you from somebody that hopefully is down there, a little bit more mature, the Christian life is sometimes two steps forward and one step back, and you just regroup. But this is it. Little by little, all he wants is growth. It takes time with Jesus. When he says, follow me, he knows he's going to invest in them for three years. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, that three years, you just take that and you can just say, I'm here now. I want to get there. And whatever you have in your mind is there, I just promise you, you make Jesus your primary allegiance for three years. You will get there. And then when you get there, you realize, oh, no, 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 I haven't achieved. It's not like I'm some super Christian. I'm a lot more mature than I was three years ago, but I can't wait to see where I'm at in another three years and how much more I mature. It takes time with Jesus to mature and to grow into someone who's willing to live counterculture, to live out of your mind in the eyes of the world, to live counterculture. Listen, if you're serving communion, please go ahead and come on down. I ask this of you. When you walk out of these doors today, will you at least just think and be introspective and to self-evaluate and go, where is it in my life that maybe my unsafe neighbors or people that I work with, they look at me and go, they're out of their mind. I can't believe that they do this in their relationships. I can't believe they use their resources like this. It just doesn't make sense. Because when they see that, they see who? Jesus. They see Jesus. They see an earthly manifestation of Jesus working in someone that reflects him. If you're new with this, we we, we take communion every every week in, in what this is. This is us as his disciples, his followers, remembering what he did on the cross. Like that ultimate goal of where he was going, that path where it led to is him sacrificially dying for us for our sins, so that we can be reconnected and reconciled to God. That's what he was. He was a bridge to get back to God because sin had separated us. And we just, we remember that. We remember his body being broken and his blood being shed for us. 
So we invite you, please stand and come to the table.